This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Can you just chat for me? Yeah, uh, just like just uh, just talk. <laughs> yeah, just talk. yeah. This is a new phone, so what's that? Is yeah, it... yeah, totally good. Got got it all. Yeah. Now. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I just got this phone yesterday, so this is like my first. Uh, this is my pioneering foray into <laughs> podcast in this way. Well, it sounds so. good. The microphone sounds lovely. Nice. Awesome. All, all right. Let's rip into this so what i will do is um normally i would share my screen so you can see the minute if you want me to still do that i can otherwise i can just play it so you can hear the audio however you want to do it just so that you can like refresh your mind um oh yeah if you can do that that'd be great i've I've been refreshing but yeah it's always fun to have the visual we'll play the specific minute and then we can just unpack it and feel free uh uh, much like Neil McCauley, you know, we rave about the discipline of the minute, um, but also we do like to take some massive tangents um, to all over <laughs> uh, all over the place, you know, go to health, hotel rooms to kill people we shouldn't, uh, go into the Hollywood Hills to murder people uh, while they're wearing <laughs> cute sweaters and watching NFL. Um, there's lots of things that we do in this show that are very heat-like, uh, so if you, you right. know, don't, don't freak out to like not specifically talk about your minute for every second we talk it's just like cool it's, it's the leap awesome, off man. point great well, yeah look, thank you so much great. i'll get we'll get started this is awesome sweet okay ladies and gentlemen welcome back to one heat minute i'm your host blake howard and joining me today is a man who wrote this and i'm not going to tell you any of his bio i'm just going to read this to begin with, Michael Mann is probably my favorite living filmmaker and his movies have haunted and instructed my life in ways I'm sure neither he nor his characters would ever recommend to a younger person. The movie I was thinking about when I was asked this question, the question in, 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 uh, he was asked was what movies make him cry um, and was Heat, which saw its initial release in 95 and it's the first movie I remember shedding a legitimate tear over. Now, Heat isn't exactly what you'd call a tearjerker, although there's a valid argument to be made that Michael Mann makes his makes deeply romantic movies despite working in violent genres. Michael Mann's characters aren't quick to cry, and neither am I. Not saying that makes me any tougher, it is what it is. But when I think of Neil McCauley's final fate and how it could so easily have been avoided if only he'd stuck to the plan and gotten back in the car with Amy Brenneman, I see myself and that explicably self-destructive choices I've made. Ladies and gents, this is one heat minute and we have john abrams he's a new york-based writer and a cartoonist and he's currently the editor-in-chief of the daily grindhouse john abrams welcome to one heat minute hi i'm so happy to be on this (laughs) uh and and we are happy to have you your little write up there is uh it's 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 striking chords with any person who's listening to this show um that you wrote that piece what a couple of years ago now yeah, we do these uh, on Daily Grindhouse. We do these kind of like team up team pieces where we one person comes up with a question and everybody uh, throws in their answer. And I think at that point, everybody was uh, the um, 
the which which trailer it was a star wars trailer i don't remember which one it just dropped and the whole internet was exploding with uh admissions of of tears being spilled and everybody was when saying I saw the millennium know, how, falcon. how much star when wars I... meant to them what's sorry what's that i think it was when i saw the millennium falcon in that probably the first force awakens trailer it was probably something like yeah, that. yeah that's probably it that's true we were home, whatever you know whatever popped up in that trailer and everybody you know the waterworks and everybody was so you know, boldly proclaiming that, you know, this, this made them cry. And I just, <laughs> you know, I, I, I saw those movies growing up. I love Star Wars like anybody else, but I just didn't relate to that. And so I was trying to, you know, almost uh, <laughs> like a Terminator <laughs> in Terminator 2, trying to explore, you know, how why my, do you my cry? emotions are why so... Why do you cry, John? Why do you cry? Yeah, why, I don't know why you humans cry. It's something I can never do, you know, and I was trying to think of, uh, times that I have cried, and they're few and far between. And um, even in 1995, when I first saw Heat in the theater, uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a sloppy cry. It was just like a, you know, dramatic tear just kind of <laughs> bubbled out of there and, you know, trickled down my 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 cheek. And um, and I think there was a, there was a recognition there. That's my that's my conclusion. And I think a lot of people that. Um, love michael mann's movies i think it's it's interesting because you know most of us aren't uh, career criminals or you know <laughs> committed uh, robbery homicide detectives I but there's fair. something yeah there's something there's there's an emotional truth to what he's what he's got in his movies and um that's what draws me to them absolutely couldn't agree more. Couldn't have put it better. <laughs> Folks, before we dive in um, uh, to, to to this minute, um, um, we're, we're going to – you guys are going to listen, hopefully, to this uh, around the same time. Today that we're recording, we've just dropped um, uh, the 105th episode of One Heat Minute, and the 106th now is what we're recording with John, and that's going to be posted pretty quick smart. Um, we've got the hundred – the reason I'm sort of doing a bit of business up the front of the show with John here is the 107th minute will be recorded i'm just waiting a confirmation of a guest for that and then there's a great double episode coming 108 and 109 uh with the the amazing joe lynch um oh, the re the reason i say i'm going to be breaking up joe lynch's double minutes because a little while back the incredible editor and uh and collaborator um uh on this film and I was kind of graced to have his presence on the show. Um, Pasquale Buber um, has passed away recently and uh, um, it's pretty devastating for Heat fans out there and for anyone who knew he was quite ill and, uh, and, and, and battled uh, as, as hard as he could and then unfortunately slipped away in the, in the last couple of months. We haven't talked too much about it on the show, um, but I was reminded about it by Joe uh, in our most recent recording. So I thought as a, a bit of a bonus in his honor, I would throw up the original episode uh, that we recorded a long time ago, possibly his last interview um, for all you Heat fans out there and uh, and and for, for any of his fa family or friends or people, collaborators, um, you know, our, uh, our heart goes out to you. And I'm just going to throw that out there really quickly. I thought I would just get that out of the way. I'm sorry, John, to do it at the beginning of this episode um, and maybe no, alter, alter the mood, but I think it's appropriate, um, you know, being that this is a big romantic movie that really strikes a chord. And if this show's done anything, it's maybe struck a little chord for some folk out there. And I just don't want you to have to wait um, till till really what what is the 152nd episode of the show 
to just hear that great interview. So I'm going to throw it up as a bonus and then it'll get posted in sequence with the rest of the show. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do that at the end of this. So let's, John, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Let's dive into Yeah, man, this. just wanted to say, you know, just a voice of appreciation for Pasquale Buba because I was, you know, I've seen this movie, I've seen Heat so many times and that name always popped out to me. You know, it's not the most usual name. And obviously uh, horror fans know him too because of his uh, affiliation with George Romero. Of course. You know, so he's a very significant figure and I'm, I'm really happy that you got that chance to talk to him. That's so cool. Very cool. <laughs> very lucky and Joe Lynch uh, helped with that. So yeah, thank you. And hope awesome. you guys hope you guys liked uh, like what, what he's got to say. And one thing I will just tease now is, he he talked about um, every minute, every minute that is in this movie that he edited maybe <laughs> took thirty hours of his life, um, <clears throat> and so I feel uh, a little bit, you know, like if I'm aspiring to putting in as much to this show per minute as Pascal Buber did uh, and the editorial team did, uh, then that's a that's a, that's an honor for me to do. All right, so here we go, hundred and sixth minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus Heat. Um, one of our great guests um, has coined the phrase symphony of damaged masculinity mm -hmm. that it is. Mm -hmm. So we're at the hundred uh, one hour, 45 minutes on your dial right now. John and I are going to take a look at this minute. You guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about Hey, Casal. You guys working the case on the Neil McCauley? Let's see how Hugh Benny called in about a bank they're looking at or something. Vincent! Far East National Bank 1130. <sighs> I want to block at Figueroa and 5th, and I want to block Northbound Flower at 6th. Awesome. There it is. <laughs> what a minute. Yeah. The, the, the part that always leapt out at me from that minute is uh, when Tom Sizemore takes off his mask and he straightens his hair, you know, it makes no difference at all because he's got a buzz cut. <laughs> yeah, he just got to, you know, takes the fluff out of his head. Yeah. It, it's, it's really, it, it's, I've been watching this minute now in preparation talking to you and um, it's, why it's a great minute in the context mm -hmm. of this here is it does such an amazing job of not, like it, it, it cuts to another sequence, which usually would take the complete air out of the pace. Mm -hmm. But the choice to show the police's notification late in the piece, so to actually jump back in time to do a little bit of time, um, uh, time adjusting, you know, like a, a little bit of right. uh, time travel purposefully here keeps the momentum so blistering in this minute, John. Like that's what I find. It's like, yeah. Tom Sizemore's nearly out the door, and that's what's great about this scene. Everything's happening and unfolding, feeling, you know, in what feels like 
very precise real time for everything we've seen in the heist. And in this great minute, I love you just get that lumbering cop who's not part of the robbery homicide division who could give a shit who's just called up about this, right? And he's just lumbering. He lumbers through that whole scene. It's so amazing how much he's just like lumbering along, doing his thing. And then... The great you get before even Wes Studi's reaction shot, you get the amazing Ted Levine get uh-huh. a, a great close up reaction shot, yeah. and he hears it and he goes Vincent like straight away like uh-huh. before they even have an outcome, and then they're running out the door. So such a great yeah. little a little transition, and then back. Yeah, we're here. Again. I love how that like that low level detective that hands him the, the you know the lumbering guy has no idea of the importance of the information he's giving to that. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he, and, and it's even in all about his gait. Like you can tell he's, he, he, there's no way he's in their team because he, he, right. he's, and he, he walks through their door, Vincent sort of, you know, scrutinizing some stuff. The guys are all working on, you know, a number of cases possibly, but I just love that when he even lumbers through the fact that he's really slowly <laughs> in there, it almost catches Ted Levine's attention as well. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's totally. Like, yeah, they're, they're so on the ball. Those guys. Just, and you know, just talking about editing, like there's that, that that what connects the scenes is like at the, in the last shot right before the, you know, uh, Vincent's team is leaving the office. Like they're kind of all throwing on their jackets and stuff. I think it's Drucker, Michael T. Williamson, is you know kind of running across the room and throwing on his jacket, and yes. then he cuts to inside the vault. Tom Sizemore kind of throwing on the duffel bag over his shoulder. So there's kind of like a continuity of movement there. Like, I think the, the editing there is so like, I think it, it goes to what you were saying about how it just keeps the momentum going. Yeah. It's like, like it's it, little subtle things like that, that you'd never notice, but it really like, I guarantee you, Michael Mann <laughs> notices. <laughs> yeah. They, it's really, it's a really funny. You said that is because it does, it almost does a pullback. It's this real, mm-hmm. really uh, almost inexplicable sort of breath in with the camera back as they're all streaming towards the door. And the cut happens yep. about 31 and a half, 32 seconds into this minute. And it's Val Kilmer coming out of the high stores. So yep. it's this great yep. sort of, uh, you get to sort of play a beautiful little bit of synergy there. The, the, the movement and a sort of semi-match cut. This movie's got so many great, subtly executed mm-hmm. match cuts that like yeah. in, in and I, and the reference I always use if this if it was in an Edgar Wright movie or a Robert Rodriguez movie like people would be like gushing like oh my god look at this new match cut you know it's some really right. cool thing and you're like no this movie just does it very subtle very cool plays yeah. it all underhand and if you like that sort of thing you'll find it but yeah then then Val comes out I've always just been struck as well you know really I've been talking through this high scene for, you know, about three minutes. It, you know, it's not, it's not a long yeah. time that you're actually talking about it. And they're so, they're just so on the ball. They're in and out in under five minutes. And it's yeah. just, it, had that tip off not come from Hugh Benny and we're sort of um, racking our yeah. brains sort of temporarily where that's coming from. Um, yeah. Had that had have come from Hugh Benny, uh, sorry, um, had we not had the tip off, it would have just been executed in five minutes and it's completely done. We're rooting for Neil's yeah. team to get this done. It's interesting because also the, um, just re- I rewatched it again today, just in preparation to talk about it. And just like the savagery, like the, you know, they're, they're very, they're quick and professional, but they're very savage. You know, Sizemore is screaming. Yes. You know, 
you know, he's, uh, I think right before this clip starts, he says, move, look at me again and I'll kill you. Yeah. You know, and so dark. De Niro, like, it's really dark. De, yeah. Like De Niro's kind of the romantic hero of the piece, but at the same time, I mean, he's, he's a killer too. He's, you know, it's not like we kind of, we, we kind of gravitate towards his character and attach to his character because he has that, you know, wonderful romance with the, the Amy Brenneman character, but he's, he's condoning, at, at best, you know, and participating in all the, the violence that his crew uh, perpetuates. He's and, designed uh, it. He's designed it that way too, which is pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Of course. Um, so, so, uh, you know, I just like, it really strikes me. And I think, you know, later on, not to, to spoil anything, but it's like the, you know, how Tom Sizemore, Tom Sizemore is the character that like lifts up a kid yeah, to use as a shield, which like struck me because you see him with his kids earlier in the movie, maybe half an hour before, you know, half an hour movie time before the heist. And it's like, you know, it, it shows you this, it, like the action reveals the character, you know? Yes. He cares about his kids, but just his kids, you know? Yeah, he doesn't. And, and, um, and, and what's funny about Neil is, I think like Neil's discipline here, and you're spot on, John, you've just made me think about it, is that Neil's discipline in this moment is around, he's trying to, in his best case scenario, these people are controlled. They know what he's trying to do and they don't get in his way. And, you know, yeah. that whole, even delivers the line to Vincent, you know, you will not get in my way. And he doesn't want any of these people to get in his way because the consequence yeah. for him is their death. So that's right. why he delivers that sort of great pragmatic, you know, it's even in the last couple of minutes that we've been talking about. And I talked about it with Oscar Hillstrom is he's sort of standing up there and he's wandering around. And he's trying, he's, he's being very nice to everyone, really as nice as someone holding a, you know, an AR5 assault yeah, rifle can right. be. Um, yeah. He's standing up there and he's like, this is not your money. This is the bank's money. Your money is insured. Don't do this. Rest against the wall right. if you need to. Listen to what I'm saying and nothing will happen. But yeah. at the same time, you know, he's got this like wild, rabid dog of like Tom Sizemore's character who, right. who when he's in the middle of going to get bags, he's like, if you look at me, I'll kill you. Like right. he's just striking fear and yeah. this unbridled terror into everyone because he's just – that's his mode of – you know, his modus operandi. Like that's his thing. Yeah. And so it's this weird contrast, right? And that's – you're so, you're so yeah. spot on is that we've got this romantic love for him and this guy is meant to be a family man, but he'll pick up someone else's kid yeah. in, without hesitating. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing like De Niro, not even to – like along with what you're saying, but like the, when he gets up, when he stands up and makes a speech, I think the first thing he says is he says – he says, we want to hurt no one, right? Yes. Which is such weird syntax. Yes. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like stilted. It's like he's kind of trying to, it's like a, it's like a, it's like an alien being trying to communicate <laughs> with, with, you know what I mean? Like he's trying to like, it's just so strange that he phrases it that way. And it's kind of, um, it's, it's weird. It's kind of distancing. It's like, the, you, you know, oh, that guy that was so sweet and. Uh, inviting Amy Brenneman to Fiji and all that. Well, this is this is now he's in a different mode. He's kind of switched off the the human mode and he's into this weird kind of. That is funny. You know, I yeah, love when De Niro like, doesn't talk like a person in all of like yeah. in some of his movies for a guy who's <laughs> you know he's where he just does something. We want to hurt no one. Like yeah, that's want a, to hurt, it's so it's so unusual, you know, and it's so like it's so specifically chosen. The thought that goes into that, you know, I don't know if uh, the like the original uh, DVD commentary 
for the movie. I don't know. I mean, you must have heard that. Yes, I have. Like, like the, these guys like thought as as much as like we're going over this. Like they've gone over it even more. Like the way that um, <laughs> you know when that scene with De Niro and uh, and and Ashley Judd, where he's like, "Clean up, go home." Clean yes. up, go home. And I think like on the commentary, like Michael Mann is like cavelling over how he, you know, he's like, that's what you get when you get Robert De Niro. I don't even like he's like, I don't even know why he says it twice, but it's brilliant. You know, it's yeah. like it, it makes the scene. It makes that reinforcement yeah. of the scene because people, you know, the, yeah. the more the more textbook dramatic thing is, let's say the line because that's what's written. You know, say the right. line, give me the line exactly as it is, but not. But people don't like silence. I think that's one thing that De Niro gets so mm-hmm. well in making scripts sound conversational and natural is that people yeah. don't like silence when you're talking to them. Yeah. And we as people now on a podcast, people don't like silence in a podcast when we're talking about no. something. <laughs> so you don't sort of <laughs> have these long yawning gaps. It's an interesting and different thing. So like it makes sense if she's standing yeah. there like holding and he wants her to have action and he says, clean up, go home. And she doesn't move. The thing that you're going to do is say like, as if you didn't, well, sorry, did you not hear me? I said, clean up, go home. And then she, and that, that, that strikes the action. So that's really, it's a, yeah, it's so good. But in this scene particularly as well, um, I think that we want to hurt no one. We want to hurt. No one is a weird structure uh, of words, but it is perfect for these characters, as in we want mm-hmm. to hurt no one. And the inference is dot, dot, dot. There's a massive ellipsis like right, your, right. The, there that says, but we will hurt everyone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we yeah, will hurt exactly. everyone who gets in our way. We want to hurt no one, right. but everyone is everyone is ready to be hurt when we're, when we're getting out of this building. <laughs> Not to jump around, but do you um, – I, I watched it a I watched this minute a bunch of times mm. and I'm still trying to figure out there's a moment it's towards the end of the minute where Sizemore is leaving and heading towards the car. Yes. Uh, where Dennis Haysbert is. And there's a shot from his point of view of, you know, the staircase and some people like there's a man, a businessman in front of him, like walking up the staircase and another guy passing. Yep. And it looked almost like slow motion. I'm gonna have a look at it right now. So it's in the it's yeah. in the last ten seconds of the minute. I'm just watching. So right now, I still couldn't tell if that's what you know if they're just moving if they just happen to be moving like that or if it no. Was... It's still it's still fast paced, but it's like someone slowly ascending the stairs. Yeah, and he everyone looks like you just picked up on a great thing, John, that I hadn't thought thought about. Everyone's just milling about like. Right. No, no one's no one's work. Um, maybe that's the massive difference between a Los Angeles movie or this movie being set in Chicago or <laughs> right. New York is that people walk like the first time I've ever felt like I walk a normal pace. My wife or my friends always tease me that I walk too fast. It's like the first time I felt truly at home, like walking on a street is in New York City because like everyone mm. is walking blistering pace. Like it's just like we have yeah. to get places and they're walking really quickly and it feels like in LA in this in this like little open area um outside of this bank this little square people are sort of yeah. milling about they're going between the office they're going to get a coffee like no one's in a rush it feels like uh, a slow yeah. motion because he's right. walking as as fast as someone could possibly walk without raising your attention right yeah. and know, so he's he's <laughs> he's got that per- 
purposeful gait. He's like straight to the car. Feels like everyone's in slow motion around him. For some reason, I just you know, like obviously New York, De Niro's a New York guy, you know. Yes. So am I, and I lived I lived in L.A. for ten years. I worked in the I worked in the film and TV industry, you know, low level stuff. But um, it's just so like for some reason that just makes like like De Niro in this movie. Maybe that's why I relate to him. He's, he feels like he, they never specifically say he's from New York. No. You know, but he brings a lot of De Niroisms, and it feels like a New York guy in L.A., and that's like um, where this scene takes place. You know, the bank robbery, that's downtown L.A. Yes. Which is very, like, when you when when I say downtown L.A., people that haven't been to L.A. might picture, you know, New York City, this kind of bustling, you know, metropolis. But it's really, like, in my experience, downtown L.A. is not like that at all. It's very... I don't want to. It's not quite ghost towny, but for for a major city, it's very sleepy. Yes. Yeah. Even that, the downtown. And I know? hadn't, you know, the, I had the great Bostonian critic Sean Burns on the show, and I hadn't oh, even cool. thought about the New York that what it, what is so quintessentially New York about De Niro and Pacino that yeah. has been transplanted to L.A. And at the time, yeah. he, he he has vivid memories with him and his friends being like in New York City watching this movie and having a question mark at even looking at the poster because it said like an LA crime saga. Yeah. Because they're like LA. Yeah. This is yeah. De Niro and Pacino. These are our guys. Right. Like this is New York yeah. guys. How it's dare you LA different. take our guys? It's very different. Yeah. This, the character of the cities is so different. Like, um, it, 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 like this movie always made sense to me. You know, I, I saw it first in New York Yes. But when I moved out there, I was like, oh, my God, this like I, I, I totally get this movie. Like even, <laughs> you know, I had a different relationship with it when I watched it out there because I could really, you know, understand. And it just like that's that's not that's not text of the movie. That's not it's not you know, I don't think they ever say that De Niro and Pacino, uh, either of those characters like are from New York. Um, but uh but it does it does kind of feel like that. It feels like New Yorker New York transplants in L.A. Um, the way they that the way they move, like their urgency is a little different than kind of the, you know, because L.A. is L.A. is a you know, it's a car oriented city. Everybody's driving. So the people that are walking are unusual, <laughs> whereas in New York, like there's so much movement. Because there's, I mean, there's cars in New York, but there's almost no room for cars. No, there's know? no room. There's too many people. Yeah. There's too many people. And like, there's bustling public transport systems. You know, the interconnected web of, you know, New York subways is like the main mode of transport. Other than that, it's walk a few blocks, you know? Yeah. This, yeah. So this, this spot, this spot with to, these sleepy office workers seems like it makes sense to me. And that's, it seems to be, yeah, more out of place. To be You're really right. honest with you, like, I don't like it. This, I think this scene feels more uh feels like there are more people than there would necessarily be yeah <laughs> in, the middle, in midday like downtown la you know <laughs> yeah probably that's you you're spot on you're spot on <laughs> but it, it you know it works obviously I, the, the term i always think about with michael mann is like epic epic realism yes you yeah. know like if the details are real but the canvas is kind of like operatic yeah, especially especially with cho- like um, you know, man has made no secret of like 
I remember there's like a top 10 list that floats around. And if I find it, I'll make sure I post it. If you guys check out oneheatminute.com, you'll see in the episode link that I post with um, with John's bio and, and his links off to Daily Grindhouse and whatnot, um, you'll see... I'll try and put man's top 10 list, but two movies that always struck me, I think that well, they're either on his top 10 or he's talked about them being his favorite movies. One is The Passion of Joan of Arc, and mm. the other one is The Wild Bunch. And so yeah. it's I these... Was, oh, so it's these... Sorry. It's these, <laughs> it's these huge, you know, as you said, these, um, you know, Passion of Joan of Arc is extremely operatic and melodramatic and it's just uh, sort of a, a symphony of faces and expressions and, and you see... The, that influence sort of littered in his work um mm-hmm. and there's talking about stories being told in p- wordless close-ups throughout his films and you know the wild bunch has that sort of characteristic thing that a lot of people ended up copying from peck and Par, but it's just you know really powerful use of slow motion and so for all the grit right. and the grime some that the operatic uh, notes in Peck and Par movies are things like the slow mo. So you're so right here is that, yeah. you know, right now in this, in the thick of this minute, in the context of the 60 seconds that we're talking about, there's not a lot of those other than a, a wonderful choice of a time cut um, to sort of yeah. ramp up the stakes as they're exiting the bank. Because so far we've just seen how perfect that they every they're doing everything, but it's that what that that one thing that it happens throughout this sequence, there are some phenomenal slow motions. There are some phenomenal close-ups um, right. and they, and they really elevate everything else that's happening and firing in this heist. Yeah. Right. This is right before that epic shootout and <laughs> yes. really like I, the reason I like verbally erupted like that when you mentioned the wild bunches, cause I was really like, I've, I've, I've always kind of seen that parallel and it really kind of stuck to me this time in the way that, you know, in that movie, uh, you know, it's about it's about Robert Ryan as Deke Thornton. You know, he's pursuing William Holden as Pike Bishop, and they, you know, they used to be friends. They had this, they have this connection, um, and they're each surrounded by teams. You know, whereas uh, William Holden, you know, as Pike Bishop has these, uh, you know, this kind of well honed. You know, he's got like Neil McCauley's crew. Yes. To compare it to Heat, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, Robert Ryan. You know, uh, Deke Thornton is kind of saddled with these kind of like, <laughs> you know, reprobates. Reprobates um, is probably a good. That is a great not, he word. Doesn't, he doesn't even like the guys he's with. You know, which is not like like Pacino. No. Obviously, is close with his his guys and has a lot of affection for them. But I think there's something like in the 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 first the interesting thing about the Wild Bunch, which is like you get that big shootout at the top of the movie. Yes, and um, there's similar. Uh, like the choreography, like it kind of centers, it centers William Holden and Robert Ryan, and you see their connection through the way that the the shootout happens. Even though you know everybody's shooting at everybody, and there's people all over the place, but still it kind of connects those two, and much the same way that that happens in this shootout here. Like you, um, you know, Pacino and De Niro are obviously, you know, it it, it feels like a, another scene between them, even though it's you know hundreds of extras and you know val kilmer and dennis haysbert and all these you know ted levine all, all the supporting characters still it feels like another scene between them in a strange way yeah you're right it it's, kind of, it's yeah. that's great great action movies examine the tr- like great action movies 
allow an emotional connection with the characters when they're when they're executing the action, when they're making the choices to do things. And I think yeah. that that's you're so spot on. Is that in this every choice that's made, every decision, you know, tactical decision or emotional decision, or what you think might be an emotional decision, you know, when you know a Ted Levine is shot or a Chris yeah. Shahilis Val Kilmer is clipped or Dennis yeah. Haysbert's Don Breeden gets, you know, all those things, uh. the emotion of what the two leads here are doing, what they decide to do with those things that happen and, and, you know, the choices they have to make, you know, to forego like grief briefly to try and stay on the job and those things. I think that, that really, right. that, 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 that keeps you like really supremely invested in this apart yeah. from all the phenomenal, like just incredible, you just have to marvel at the stunt teams that put this together to make yeah. it feel so real, to make all those those <laughs> gun sounds sound so ludicrously loud and phenomenal yeah. that we're about to hear and 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 see. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 that staying in close to character and them and being invested in every micro decision is so so critical. Yeah, yeah it's like it's a character through action and you know vice versa. It's really. Yes, it's, it's pretty masterful. <laughs> yeah, yes, and the stakes—it's so much better. You know, for for every um, you know, for every massive superhero fight I think I've ever seen in any of these uh, superhero movies, I, I go back to a great, like I think probably what's like my favorite fight scene ever in a movie is where Dan Doherty fights the big <laughs> lackey in Deadwood, like wrestles oh, out in the street, right. God, yeah. Now that is the most ag- one of the most agonizing, brutal pieces of action of all time. But you're like, yeah. It, it the fact that you are so emotionally invested that like, they are pawns, but you can feel the titanic presence of their bosses. You can feel the stakes right. for the town. You can feel yeah. the individual stakes because these two guys are usually the guys that can sort of take down a threat so instantaneously they're just big bullocking dudes and then they've got to battle it out and they're not exactly physical specimens but just the sheer brutality and physicality and the emotion and the fear that you know you know skates across their eyes and it's i just don't think that there's enough action like that like and 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 that's in this scene despite the heightened state and the operatic you're still getting into all that emotion and they're so rare. Yeah. They're so rare to happen. Well, I mean the real the reality of violence. There's a you know, there's a reality of violence yes. that like we all it's interesting, particularly here in America and what we export to the world in our movies is so much violence without real consequence. You don't really think about um what actually punching or, or shooting a person can do to a person. And uh, that fight in Deadwood, I think, is so good because it's really grisly, and like yeah. that's how far that's how far it can go. And I think also, um, like in 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 Heat, there's a, there's a couple moments like that, like the way when uh, when Ted Levine's character Bosco, when he's shot and he kind of falls backward to the ground, and his eyes are still open, kind of oh. in this like feeling of like there's a real shot, and it's because you know you care about this guy, you've seen him like on and off the job. You've seen him like saying hi to Natalie Portman in the morning and all that. It, it, there's just something so horrible about seeing him like go down to the ground like that, you know, with his eyes open in shock and like that's that's it. That's and, that's and he's gone. Like, the reality of how instantaneous it is too. Yeah. 
like how an automatic weapon will just chew a person yeah. up. Like they right. could have body armor on, but if it's the if it's the right shots, it's like boom, boom, boom. See it, he's down. Yep. Yeah, and not only that, it it affects your relationship to De Niro and Kilmer and Sizemore because now you're like, oh well, now now they're killing people that we care about, not just you know, um, not just the henchmen that that uh, Van Sant sent after them to kill them or whatever, you know, <laughs> like not people that quote unquote deserve it. Now they're killing like characters we care about, and so uh, particularly you know particularly you know Sizemore. We know what happens to him in this situation, and it's almost like, well, yeah, okay, we're all right with that, you know. Like, all right. The one you know, big it's, one. It's interesting how that kind of shifts a little here. You nailed it perfectly, and I want to use this segue. So, right as we see our favorite, like most relaxed cop in the LA head office <laughs> wander in with information about uh, the CI, <laughs> um, I man in the director's commentary talks about. When he gives you the information and he says Hugh Benny, we're not mm-hmm. we're not really sure who Hugh Benny is, even though we've already right. seen him. So if you and I who've seen this movie a million times, we know who yeah. Hugh Benny is. So the minute he says Hugh Benny, we're like, okay, cool, Henry Rollins' character. Yeah. But if you've yeah. seen this movie before or maybe you've only casually observed it over a few years, you're not going to have that same sort of instant recognition of the name. And so right. one thing he said in the commentary, because he's sort of, very astute as to what his intention was with a new audience. He talked about how he wanted us to hear some guy whose name we didn't know mm-hmm. that had given them the information they need. And if yeah. you had the quick wittedness to go where the hell did that information come from, he, he wanted to put a question mark in your mind about who's missing from the heist. Right. Now right. watch this many times. Yeah, and at that moment, as if I, <laughs> he, he, I don't know how many times John I've cog, like cognitively gone because of the because you're so wrapped up in the scene, you're not really ready to start going who the hell betrayed them yet. You just right. know that they're yeah. done, so you're like, right. are they going to survive the betrayal? And so I think the movie right. is so clever, because yeah. man, as a filmmaker, this just shows what a masterful note that is. Is he just gives enough, the most fleeting of glances to like here's a piece yeah. of plot that you need to know because it's going to come back right. but it's not essential mm-hmm. to to us yeah. like enjoying the rest of this scene we're not like caught up in oh who betrayed them like we don't care like uh, in my yeah. mind i'm like i don't care who betrayed them yet soon i'm gonna want to know yeah i'm interested yeah, yeah. but you know only yeah. if neil it's gets like, away <laughs> if neil yeah. gets away that's what it's so like the 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 faith that he has in the audience to kind of absorb what they need to absorb, yeah, you know, and it's all there. It's all there. Um, and you know, it's interesting cause I, you know, over the years, like I've had, uh, arguments, spirited arguments or debates with, uh, with people over how this movie is, you know, too long, <laughs> what could have come out and stuff like that. Nothing, John, the answer, like you and I probably argue, nothing comes yeah, out. Yeah. That's the kind of, th- you know, it's like kind of the thing. It's like, I, the more I watch it, the more I'm like, no, this is all, it's all there for a reason. Yes. It's all there for a reason, you know, and some of it's a little, it's a little much maybe that, you know, Natalie Portman is suicidal on top, you know, that, 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 that Pacino is dating, uh, you know, this, or married to this woman who's, whose daughter is suicidal or that Wayne Grow, 
happens to be a serial killer on top of everything else. Um, like that might be a little much in any other movie, but there, there are certain emotions that come from those scenarios that like pay off in character based ways. I think that's like Pacino being Pacino being like the rescuer that he's not, he's not good in a relationship, but he's good. You know, if, if, if he's the guy you want, if Natalie Portman is in a bathtub, you know, bleeding, you know, he's the guy that's going to get her to the, the hospital on time. Yeah, I think it's you know? perfect for Vincent. I, I agree with you. I think it's yeah. – Vincent needs that to show two really critical things, and I think we'll unpack them as we keep going through this the show. But Vincent needs that moment to show on a real intimate level for Justine what his value is. Right. Like he, he's, he's, we've seen his value as a policeman. But yeah. she's never been sort of had a front row seat to how, you know, yeah. firstly, he can be a first, res- you know, at, at a fundamental level, policemen like have to have that, the gruesome first responder thing, you know, finding yeah. someone who's attempted suicide, saving them, like at least stopping their bleeding temporarily so that medical staff can intervene, getting them to a hospital, um, having yeah. seen so many things that he could immediately diagnose which arteries were gone, what pulses yeah. were, how many minutes she may or may not have been in there, all those you know, yeah. um, additional details of someone who unfortunately yeah. has seen a lot of that. So then that helps right. flesh out some of that other stuff that they just argue, argued about in their, in their, in their perfect way. And well, yeah, it's so, yeah, it's so interesting. Like that relationship, that's another, like, obviously when I first saw this movie 20 years ago, or 20, you know, 23 years ago, <laughs> uh, it, it didn't, uh, like, like Justine is kind of a pain in the yeah. ass character. If you're, you know, if you're a stupid kid, like I was, you know, cause she's yes. like, she talks in kind of therapy speak, you know? Um, yes. but especially even just watching it today i have so much more uh you know affection for that character like she's really trying to make it work yeah she loves this guy but he's not he's not present in their relationship and uh i just i feel like i feel like i feel for her this time you know but he's not a guy that can communicate the way that she wants him to communicate and you're so right she's trying to make make it work and right now like in how many movies have we have we seen a couple that is on the edge of breaking up yeah. and an emo- and a deeply emotionally traumatic thing that happens to their family or in their family helps cauterize whatever open wounds are going on and they and they can come back together and what i right. think i love and maybe this is like a, the tragic irony of this is that vincent even in that moment her words to him that like all I am is what I'm going after, yeah, is his his instincts to be a policeman override the potential for them to get back together. <laughs> like they just get yeah. It's like all I am is what I'm going after. Like I'm good at doing this stuff, and you saw it. And yes, it might be meaningful, but it's not going to yeah. keep us together. And that's just devastating. But yeah. it's like so true to his character that you're like oh god i mean that's the part unfortunately that i relate to it's like i'll always be there for you but you know i'm I'm no good for you i'm not i'm not i'm not i can't provide the things that you you know that that you want me to provide but i'll always be there when you need me you know and i 
unfortunately, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of parallels in my own life, you know? Um, and, uh, I think it's, there's something so true about it. And so like, it's, it's not, it's not, they don't break up because she's a nag nah. and he's, you know, it's not that it's that she's just looking for a kind of intimacy that he can't provide. Yes. And it's not, it, and it, they don't, they don't leave it in, in a, in an angry place. It's a, you know, sad. It's tragic, like you said, but it's not, it's not sad. It's not, it's certainly not, uh, it's certainly not rewarding, you know, certainly not like, Oh, I'm glad you got rid of her. It's like, <laughs> oh, I wish that would have worked out, but I kind of see why it didn't. You know? Well, I think oh, such a good movie. on that, on that note, on that sad and tragic and, and <laughs> uh, on that sad and tragic note, this has been one heat minute. John Abrams, the editor of the Daily Grindhouse. John, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Mike Vanderbilt, thank who was a guest, um, yeah. as I said in previous episode, said there's two people that I feel like I've taken their slot by not allowing them to be on the show before me. <laughs> One was yourself, John Abrams, um, and the other was Michael Rothman. I've now had you both on the show, which is really important oh, to me because cool. he was like, I feel like if I've been on the show and these guys haven't, that's a, like a tragedy. And I said, no, we'll, we'll, we will rectify that immediately and get these guys on the show. So thank you so much <laughs> thank for being you a part so of the much. show. I'm just so happy that your show exists, man. This is such it's, <laughs> for, it's a great idea. It's a great show. I mean, I'm I'm honored to like, Seriously, like it's not I'm, not, I'm not just a kiss ass, like the, the lineup that you've had, amazing people, amazing people. And, uh, and, and your, you know, your own commentary is so good. And it's just, to me, it's an honor to be a part of that. I just hope I made a little bit of sense when I was rambling about this movie that I love so much. John, you've been rambling in exactly the same way that all of this amazing lineup of him rambling about this movie. So <laughs> I very much appreciate it. And thank you. Very grateful for the comments from someone like yourself. It means a lot. So thank you. Guys. John Abrams, um, the best place you can find him is Daily Grindhouse, um, and yeah. that's that's uh, his home. But he is also um, on Twitter, so you can check out John. Um, it's at John Zilla, so I'm going to spell it. It's at J O N Zilla Z I L A, and then there's a couple of underscores I think would be there, but you can check three out three underscores, three yeah. underscores all together. There you go. DailyGrindhouse.com. <laughs> check out all that sort of stuff there. You can put, uh, you can. There's a couple of uh, things on heat that are riddled throughout the site, and in, in Mike Vanderbilt's episode, we posted a couple of them um, in that link on OneHeatMinute.com as well, so you can check them out. Building a nice little cachet of homework. Um, uh, for folks uh, to read additional articles from the great people we've had on the show so we'll continue to do that um, I've as always been Blake Howard at Blake is Batman on the Twitter if you want to find me um, but we'll catch you guys uh, next week uh, on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner thanks Blake